Hi there, Mark McKinney here, um, psychotherapist, and I facilitate this podcast called Caring in a Soulful Way. Many of you have seen recently Tom Moore and a whole bunch of others present on different topics, and we've had an increase of interest in basically what do we understand the brain to be about? What about brain health? What do I need to know about the brain? So today we're especially uh, thrilled to have a friend and a colleague, um, Dr. Pete Neal, who's uh, the Director of Behavioral Health at Dave Kimball Healthcare here, situated in Northeast Connecticut. We're mindful that people that watch this are coming from all over the place. So we welcome you into this little discussion, brief podcast, um, that's also related to our classes. And our classes are pastor counseling classes. If you want to know more about an expanded version of this kind of discussion, please get a hold of me. Um, my name is Marcus Michael McKinney at gmail.com or just respond to this podcast. We will be glad to give you more information. So first of all, welcome Dr. Neil for taking time out of your day. It's nice to have you back. Thanks, Dr. McKinney. It's great to be here. So let's get started. Um, I need to mention, which some may know, I didn't really know this. Next week is Brain Awareness Week. So okay. there is such a thing as a Brain yeah. Awareness Week. And Very I good. thought, why not take that, this opportunity to, you know, get, get a few facts out on the table or better understanding. We, I, I would say, and I'd love your thoughts about this just to begin with. Um, you've presented in our class, people were captivated about what this thing is called the brain. Um, but we have a lot of misconceptions, um, but we probably take it for granted. It's like my knees, you know, until they go bad, I don't think about my knees too much. I, I probably don't think about my brain too much. But I will tell you, as I get older, I worry because my memory may not be quite as good. Um, what's, what's the significance of knowing a little bit about the brain, even though we're not going to be experts in it? Why would we want to know more about the brain? Right. Well, I'd certainly like to preface by saying I'm, I'm not quite the expert, uh, but you know, as a um, mental health clinician and a psychologist and psychotherapist, um, and actually now, even now as the director of behavioral health, working with staff members, um, it does help to understand a little bit about how the brain impacts our behavior. And I can certainly see where that would be helpful also for caregivers in the community. So if you are a friend, family member, loved one of somebody who has um, a mental health condition, uh, if you yourself are struggling with your mental health, um, or if you're some other type of uh, care provider, like a case manager or um, you know, member of the clergy, or um, in some role where you're looked upon to assist somebody in getting uh, help for a, uh, you know, a behavioral condition or mental health condition, it, it always helps to know a little bit about the brain and it's just going to make you a more effective uh, person in that, you know, friend, family member, um, you know, uh, whoever you're trying to support's life. Um, so what I try to start out with is just trying, you know, understanding the anatomy of how the brain works in, in a, almost like a, um, you know, a neuro, psychiatry for dummies kind of way right so just the basics yep, i like that and it, and it might be it might be similar to something like um you know if you drive a car every day 
Uh, you may not be a master mechanic, but you might want to know a few things about how to replace the fluids or, you know, how to pump up your tires if you get a, um, a soft tire, things like that. So kind of basic maintenance that will help you just be a little bit more autonomous, um, a little bit less um, dependent on the mental health system, which can be somewhat burdensome uh, because the, the need outweighs the supply in many areas of the country. However, um, I would like to also put in a pitch and just say, we're accepting patients all the time at Day Kimball. So if you're in the Northeastern Connecticut area, we're certainly here to meet your needs. And one of the things we try to focus on is getting people early access and getting them the access they need. However, throughout the industry, and of course, you know this, Dr. McKinney, that's not always the case. And therefore, being able to develop some autonomy and also just being able to practice good brain health in your own life is going to make us um, you know, healthier, happier more energy, um, you know, all these things that usually lead to a better quality of life. So, um, so let me, maybe I could ask you a question along that line. Sure. Dr. Neal, when my experience has been a little bit that when people have like a brain injury, well, that's kind of a no, no brainer, so to speak, no pun intended, <laughs> that you've right. got to go get a specialist. So um, that's one aspect, but far more often would be, um, that I worry about something in my brain or I'm feeling something of a psychological distress and I wonder about my brain health. So the door I go into, if I do get the courage to get help, might be a therapist, might be somebody, a counselor. It, it probably would not be a neuropsychiatrist or you wouldn't go to a higher level of care to open the door. So it becomes important maybe what you said earlier in terms of accessing care can actually be through primary care or through a counselor. And then that gets assessed and triaged, so to speak, or, or handed along. So the clergy and the people listening don't, ha don't have to be experts, but they might get someone into the door with some trust to just ask some questions. Is that right? often works? Yeah. And I think your, your most likely portals of entry are going to be either through your primary care physician or a psychotherapist, which typically would be a social worker or a counselor, um, maybe a psychologist. Um, and they're the most likely frontline folks that you're gonna encounter. So um, what PCPs are gonna tell you are uh, um, habits and behaviors that are good for the brain, just like they are for every other part of our body, which is to eat well, exercise, get good sleep, um, uh, stay away from alcohol, smoking, um, obviously other, you know, drugs, um, you know, uh, either um, abuse, you know, abusing over-the-counter drugs or limiting your over-the-counter um, uh, medication use and certainly staying away from illicit drugs. Now, I think most people probably know that those types of things will harm the brain. Um, if it's, we're getting lack of sleep, we're uh, not eating well, and therefore the proteins in our body are not allowing for the good transmission of neurotransmitters, and that can uh, affect our energy, our concentration. Um, we talk about memory loss, and sometimes older folks will get very concerned that they're starting to lose their memory, and, um, and uh, we see uh, higher rates of neurocognitive disease or what we you know, previously referred to as dementia. However, in a lot of cases, it could just be a change in diet, a supplement, 
something that's going to allow your brain to transmit those chemicals in a more um, easy or natural manner. Um, and therefore, you know, a conversation with a primary care doctor can really do a lot in terms of helping us maintain that brain health in addition to following through with those behaviors. With regards to concern about a you know, brain injury or um, a significant decline in functioning over a short period of time, for example, somebody's memory lapses you know, very quickly, or we get uh, psychiatric symptoms like a, a, a significant increase in depression or anxiety. Also good to touch base with a primary care doctor, but in those cases, um, also doing a form of talk therapy to sort of uh, better understand, get better insight into what may be going on. Um, the reason uh, that we want to have some awareness of the anatomy of the brain is because different things happen in different places. And so if somebody sustains a brain injury, we would want to know where that injury occurred, where in the brain, because that's going to have implications on how we expect that it might um, influence their behavior and, and cause deficits in functioning. Um, so I'm just a little the bit brain. of brain. I'm showing yeah, the brain great. now, just in case that would be helpful to you. Yeah. And so, you know, if we sort of go in a um, sort of clockwise manner, I guess here, the, the corpus callosum, um, which you see like uh, more towards the front of the brain, um, that's going to sort of help you with um, uh, under feeling sensations and um, the, the frontal lobe uh, where we, we rationalize, we judge. Um, so right now, probably most people listening to us are using that frontal lobe uh, because they're, they're trying to hear information, they're trying to process. And um, that's a lot of what that area does. And so one of the things that can be beneficial from talk therapy is understanding how to problem solve, being able to talk through situations. As we move more towards the middle of the brain or the hypothalamus, and actually I said I'm going clockwise, but I'm, I'm sort of branching out to the sides of the thalamus and the hypothalamus. And that's gonna get us more into kind of the emotional center of the brain. And a lot of people think of emotions as like, you know, I feel sad, I feel uh, scared, but really a lot of where we feel those things, and that's where that word feeling comes into play, is it's the brain's way of communicating with the rest of the body. So a lot of times emotions or feelings are just that. They're sensations in the body that we then interpret and send back to that frontal lobe or forward, I should say, to the frontal lobe and the information that we deduce or rationalize or judge in our frontal you know, part of the brain is that we're having these sensations and we translate those into feelings. So for a therapist or, or someone working with a person with a psychiatric need, I would wanna know what's going on in that front of the brain, what thoughts are we having, what's our self dialogue, what words are we saying to ourselves and what, what we're thinking about, but also I'd wanna understand what the feelings are, what the sensations are that go through the body and how those are then interpreted to the front of the brain. Um, the, the brain stem, um, and actually I, I'm not sure if we can see it in here, but it's a little, um, almost walnut sized, uh, uh, I guess, uh, organ within the brain called the amygdala 
is uh, what's responsible more for our, what we call our fight or flight instincts. And so the brainstem will do things uh, like uh, involuntary impulses, breathing, um, ha- our heart beating, digestive processes that we don't really become aware of unless we have heartburn or indigestion or something like that. But our body is uh, functioning without us knowing or thinking or demanding that it do so. And a lot of that happens from the brainstem and, and the amygdala being so closely associated with those involuntary impulses as we, then we get sort of what are more quasi voluntary impulses, which are our fear impulse or that fight or flight, or as some people say, fight, flight, or freeze. And so if you can get somebody to get to that frontal lobe and they can explain how they may have uh, interacted in a certain situation that maybe they weren't proud of or didn't lead to a good outcome, caused problems in their lives, you might find that they were reacting from a place of fear or, or anxiety, and then they weren't using the rational part of their brain, they were responding in either the emotional or the impulsive part of the brain, which usually leads us to doing things that um, could cause us problems in our lives. And so if we mm-hmm. have that chemistry that's not you know, balanced or regulated, the best thing that we can do is be aware of it. And there's even exercises that we can do to try to bring ourselves from the emotional part of the brain more to that frontal lobe. And that's where a lot of talk therapy works is in that frontal lobe. So we're not in the midst of a stressful or emotional uh, situation. We're processing it after in the front. Now, conversely, um, sometimes processing things in the front doesn't make a difference when we're dealing with the emotional impulsive parts of the brain. We actually want to get ourselves there. And, you know, as you know, Dr. McKinnon, we use accelerated resolution therapy, which is an eye movement based intervention, which allows us to sort of float from the prefrontal cortex or that frontal lobe where we rationalize. And it sends us back to that emotional place. We can tap into the emotional and impulsive parts of ourselves. It allows us uh, to bring up um, old information or historical information, which is usually where flashbacks or intrusive uh, images come into play. So for things like post-traumatic stress, um, we can talk about it all day long, but we really want to access that center of the brain that, that was impacted by the event. And therefore we can get, we can reassociate some self-soothing, reassociate a calmer, uh, sensation in our body and associate that with, uh, the thoughts that come with the event rather than when we think about the event, we immediately go into that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Or, or, yeah, so I, I, I think it's wonderful to have people consider that even though we're talking brain physiology a bit, that trauma, you know, there's a lot of research that shows something like trauma that a good number of people face and don't always get help for. Um, there is a way to avoid just getting stuck. Many times in trauma, a person will just feel like, well, I just keep thinking about it and I'm stuck. And, and that's how trauma can, for some people, really stop their lives somewhat. But th- through what you've just explained, there are ways that are being explored in therapy that can be done right here in clinics like ours um, to, at least for some people, be able to get beyond the stuck place to be able to find some healing, some, uh, something that wouldn't take five years to get to. And that's pretty remarkable 
kinds of interventions, knowing, of course, that not every person, just like medication, is going to be as sufficiently impacted as, as every other person. But it is, it was researched, I believe, at the, with the veteran system, health system, and it's shown some great results. And we've seen very good results here. Yeah, uh, and that's one of the reasons we pursued it so um, aggressively was that we had a couple clinicians using those types of interventions, and they were seeing really great results in a pretty short timeline. And obviously, when people are suffering, um, it's really important that we at least alleviate that suffering um, to the point where we can get people to be able to work on more complex problems. Um, now, when the, when the brain's in distress, or when, when the body's in distress, we are going to default to impulse um, or at least an emotional state, right? We're not gonna be able to process in that prefrontal cortex. Um, so we wanna be able to ease people's anxiety, ease their suffering, ease their uh, psychological pain, so that we can get to the point where they can make better decisions, where they can have insight into their behavior, where they can be safe. Um, in addition to things like self-actualization and self-awareness and working on interpersonal communications, um, which, you know, when we have difficult uh, relationships with others, we can become triggered by that. And then we're usually not making the best decisions about how to treat those relationships when we're in an emotional or impulsive state of mind. So you, know, you don't have to be an expert on the brain. Um, you don't even really have to know all of that terminology, but understanding that there is a stop, a yellow light and a green light um, that are associated with what our desired outcomes are. And it may be that um, you wanna stop the impulsivity you want to be cautious or have a yellow light approach to your emotions and your green light is when you're really thinking clearly and you're in that prefrontal cortex where you can make good decisions and you can evaluate situations. But our natural instinct is to have the impulsive center on green. Um, and uh, if we can't uh, utilize our frontal lobe, we're going to default to the emotions and then back to our impulsive or reptilian a part of the brain, which will just go back to that fight, flight, or freeze mentality. I'm going to show one more slide, uh, Dr. Neal, which is a little bit different. And I'm mainly showing it because there may be some folks that uh, just will be able to look back on this in terms of a, yet another description of what you've laid out for us, mainly yeah. just for people to reference later. Right. And you see that frontal lobe, which is, you know, basically our forehead going back to about the top center of our brain. Um, some other, uh, so on the, on the limbic side, these are on the side here, uh, this is where we get into things like movement and body sensations, parietal lobe more towards the back. So you can see that depending on um, where an injury might have occurred or where there might be damage or uh, some sort of abnormality, you're going to experience different uh, symptoms. And sometimes the symptoms uh, that you're experiencing can help really provide some insight as to where that damage occurred. But um, there, there, the science is limited in how much we can correct brain injury. Of course, there are things like you know uh, brain surgery um, and you might find that somebody who develops a tumor or something like that, that has pressure or a change in the anatomy of one of those areas 
could return to normal functioning if they were to have it removed or to have a surgical procedure. Obviously, brain surgery is, uh, you know, quite a serious event. And uh, we don't provide that type of surgery in most psychiatric situations because uh, there is a limit on how much physiologically the brain can be changed. But we know that we can change it through behaviors, through talk therapy, and even through medication interventions, which then become the frontline treatments for mental health conditions. And um, again, you know, the layperson doesn't necessarily have to know all of that information, but if they understand a little bit about what might be going on with somebody or, you know, how their level of functioning has changed, how their personality may have changed or how their emotional state, you know, they might be more getting angry more quickly. And that, you know, we, we um, talk about anger as if it were an emotion, but really to me, when I hear somebody talking about getting angry, getting too angry for a situation or getting angry so quickly that they end up acting out of anger and doing things that they regret later on. Um, I think about the, um, that impulse center more than I do about emotions. When I, when I think about the emotional stuff, I think about somebody who's too happy or too sad. Um, but when we think about scared and angry, um, we really want to go to that impulse center. And sometimes that can provide insight that'll allow us to uh, craft an intervention that's going to be more helpful to the patient. So strategy, um, so strategy in the world of psychology takes this into account without getting into the weeds, but understanding that if there's impulse control, we would have a set of strategies we might be looking to consider, at least consider with someone that we're working with. And then we also work, and our time is about up, but we also work, I think it's important for people to consider, and we encourage caregivers to, to think of this, in concert with permission of the patient with the primary care, because primary care looks at the whole person. And, you know, that is the front door for most people to just say, I think there's a problem, or sometimes it's discovered there, then primary care often collaborates with us. And the brain is one of those things so critical. We didn't talk much about the brainstem, but, you know, it turns out that, of course, the brainstem connects everything you've been talking about to the nerve, to the whole body. <laughs> and um, right, yeah. I was going to ask you when I fall in love, when I fell in love with my wife, you know, where in the brain does it? So there's certain aspects of what we do that can't be captured by science. Um, but we can appreciate that. We can appreciate we're whole people, primary care and family medicine in our area. A lot of physicians are really tuned in that um, we have to do a little more work than a quick assessment to understand how to help someone or what the problems are. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say is just all of our brains are unique. And sometimes it's just about embracing the uniqueness of our own mind and recognizing that it's not the same as somebody else's. And we may admire other people's behavior or personality or intellect. But uh, at some point, we've got to say that, you know, our brain is ours. We're never going to have a different one. Um, and there are some unique uh, elements to all of our behaviors, personality, um, and ways of thinking that we really want to embrace. And I think that can lead to a lot of happiness, too, without really much um, without much work, if we're open-minded to really, you know, um, uh, accepting ourselves. So absolutely. I appreciate your time here today, Dr. Neil, we're at day Kimball 
healthcare here if people need to get a hold of us. Uh, we realize this goes out to lots of places that would have their own hospital or clinic they could get to. But if you are sitting listening to this and saying, gee, I need to send somebody somewhere, I'll give you the local number here, Northeast Connecticut, 860-963-6385. And, um, but we encourage you to go to your local you know, most trusted place that you normally get your care, your primary care would be for most people that proper place. But I hope this discussion has been helpful for everyone and um, won't be the last time we discuss things. But thank you, Dr. Neal, and we wish everybody a great week. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care.